Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. UFC Vegas 39 Dern versus Rodriguez. And, you know, I'm starting to think, like, I, I don't want to go out and prove all the, the trolls and the haters right. But um, it definitely seems like the cards that are absolutely meaningless and terrible on paper have actually been okay to, like, delivered fun fights. <laughs> and then, like, last week we got finally a meaningful fight night card. And it was just terrible. It was just the wrong kind of good. It was too. Yeah. It, was, it suffered from a consistency of just being like flatly competitive. Mm-hmm. Any one of those fights, really, like the ones that all you know went to decision and were kind of competitive but didn't have any big momentum swings. Any one of those you could have slotted into a more action-packed card, and it would have been a nice, you know, thoughtful respite from the blood and guts. You would have enjoyed it as a tactical chess match kind of fight. But just with all... I, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any way I could have done that with Cirque and Aviatko. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, Santos uh, versus I didn't hate Walker. that fight. You and you and Phil both loathed that fight, apparently. I didn't hate it. I was, it was all right. It was middleweight. Watching, watching two grapplers force a kickboxing bout out of one another where they both show off the three strikes that they've learned in the past decade to throw uh-huh. with, with reasonable aplomb. Yeah. It's, uh, it's I just mean, the I, worst kind of fight. I definitely understand the yeah. <laughs> the dislike for it. It just didn't bother me. Uh, I, uh, I definitely benefited from not watching it all as a stretch. But I'm going to surprise you, Zane. Yeah. I have two compliments for this card. Wow. First of all, it's short. Yeah, that's, that's a great compliment <laughs> for it. You cannot, you're not wrong there. I said before it has a higher percentage of interesting matchups than recent fights, and that is purely in a numerical sense. Yeah. Secondly... Better next week's card. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a real toss up. Like, okay, let me say this: the main event is certainly better. The main event is better. Holm Dumont. Who cares? Yeah, no, that is a terrible fight. But Dern Rodriguez is at least an, an interesting matchup that promises some action. Sure, but beyond that, you know, Firo Silva, um, Chukwu, Daun Jung, these Landwehr, Klein, even Wright Marquez is these are all like mm-hmm. more notable bouts than most of what's going on on this card. We here we've got Tim Elliott, Matthews, Nicolau. Dern Rodriguez, and then a lot of fights that we could generally just. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. Not see. Like, I mean, I like Randy Brown, but Jared Gooden, that's not. No. That's not a compelling matchup coming off of Snatching Cowboy Oliveira. No. And yeah, they Alex really feel I guess, you know, uh, you know, good Gooden is trying to ride some momentum off of that big knockout in his last fight, but it's just like. It, it it's the strength of the matchups is not they're just not compelling yeah. or meaningful they don't seem to move anyone anywhere in the divisions in which they take place 
But uh, next week's card, you know, do- doesn't have enough interest t- to me to override the main event. This yeah, is that's like fair. I can look forward to Mackenzie Dern doing violence uh, and Marina Rodriguez trying really hard to do violence back to her. I know I'm in for a pretty good contest at the end. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it gets to it gets to one of those points that I, I have often made about the current state of UFC fight nights, mm-hmm. which is really. The end of the day, whether or not they're good cards or not, or enjoyable or not, mm-hmm. is all wrapped up in the main event at this point. Yeah. You you walk away at the end of the night having seen a good main event and a bad card will be fun. Yep. And you take something like Santos Walker, where you had a great batch of prelims that were all super fun and competitive. Mm-hmm. And even a fantastic fight between Price and Oliveira on the main card, and you walk away with a bad main event. You're just like, "Wow, that was." Yeah. That and was even terrible. a fight like Price Oliveira, like, uh, it's you know, it's like, it's not the best fight either of those guys has had. <laughs> those are two no. like insane action fighters, and it yeah. was it was just like par. It was kind for, of yeah, it was kind of the worst fight they could have had, really, which means it was yeah. still a really quite good fight by most standards. Exactly. But it would have felt a lot better. And so too, I contend, would Serkanov Jodko if the main event had been strong. Then you would have looked back on it and been like, that was a weird, ugly fight. Variety, Zane. We're always saying this. I know. You need a it's, balanced diet across the card. It's true. It's true. Ugly, I, I still ugly think fights are are welcome addition to an otherwise interesting and exciting card. That that's fair. I, I do think I don't I'm not sold on the idea that there's any universe in which Serkanov <laughs> Yatko stands out as something that I'm glad I sat through but okay fair enough yeah <laughs> that's just because you convinced you you convinced us both to pick it wrong yeah well we should have known saying jocko against a grappler come on yeah i, I mean it's just <sighs> man when he is he, these days the past two two years now i mean then at that point you got a big losing streak so the past five years now when Christoph Yatko is winning, it is the ugliest, yeah. least fun, worst fight that he can yeah. have. Yeah, he's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. It's still some evidence that last week's card holds some lasting interest in a way that these, uh, yeah. albeit exciting, uh, nothing cards don't, that we're talking about it instead of. <laughs> yeah, that that is the honest thing when we go in and we're looking ahead of time and being like is this a bad card or not it's really does it have anything worth talking about or not yeah how soon will i forget that this happened yeah and to that end uh beyond the main event of this card there is literally nothing else on it that means anything to anyone yep Agreed. So let's jump into the main event and a, a woman's strawweight bout between Mackenzie Dern and Marina Rodriguez. All right. Sorry, just muted while I dragged my heavy mic stand across the desk there. Um, All right. Like I said, good matchup. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very clear clash of styles. Um, Mackenzie Dern seemed for quite a while to have fallen in love with her hideous striking. Mm-hmm. Um, hideous. But effective, you know, like yeah, Dern yeah. is tough, 
she hits hard. She's insane and aggressive. Yeah, she um, she has a real, you know, I I know that she she I don't want to make this comparison too broad because I know she doesn't seem to like it very much and it's been there for her whole career. Mm-hmm. But her striking has a real Ronda Rousey quality to it. Yeah, which, and but I'll say, you know, uh, um, her last performance, um, it felt like a Claudio Silva fight. Yes. That's uh, more like what we want to see and what right. Rousey could never actually get to. Yeah. Was a point where Dern came out and fought and the general attitude seemed to be, I know I hit hard and I'm willing to throw with the kind of reckless abandon that makes me hard. It makes it hard to ignore no matter how ugly it is. Mm-hmm. I am going to just use that to make you panic while I then try to take you down. Absolutely. And that is what she should be doing. You know, yeah. like the, it's it's um, striking with a purpose, striking that leads to something. And even, you know, uh, to be fair to Rhonda, who is e- so easy to malign now, she did have that up to a point. There, there was yeah. a period of her career there early in her reign where she was um, the striking was really feeding into her preferred uh, clinch attacks. I mean. Uh, I, it, it's it, it's still weird to say this about the era when Ronda Rousey was champion, but there was a time there where I would still argue that she had the most, and this is like before they signed Holly Holm and all that, where she kind of had the most fun, functional striking in yeah, women's yeah. bantamweight. Yeah, because it was, it was just one of those things where as she focused on it more, it became yeah. more disconnected from the rest of her game. Yeah. And it was she was one of the only people who could go out and knock people out and like yeah. actually hurt them. You know? True. Yeah. And, like and you want to take somebody like Sarah Kaufman, who is unquestionably better schooled than Ronda Rousey. Yeah. And you put them, you know, that you have them strike against one another in the cage and Ronda Rousey would just win because she hits way harder. Right. And yeah. um, Dern has similar attributes and yeah. appears to have pulled herself back, you know, benefiting from not like just being a champion already so early in her career. Mm-hmm. She's pulled herself back from that path, uh, at least if her last fight is any indication. And assuming that she takes a similar strategy here against Rodriguez, I am going to pick her to win. Um, yeah. F- Phil compared um, this fight uh, you know, the, the, this potential fight to a sort of Carlos Condit versus Damian Maya, mm-hmm. which I like, like uh, Marina Rodriguez so far has gotten by on this sort of understanding that I will be taken down, but then I will do stuff later in the fight. Yeah. And sometimes somebody takes you down and you don't get a later in the fight. Yeah. And so that strategy is bunk. <laughs> it just is completely non-functional. And um, that it, has so far been the key to what success Rodriguez has had because her take down defense is not very good. Yeah, she, she's, got, she's got really bad instincts for it. Yeah, she's she she like a lot of inexperienced wrestlers um, in MMA. She can, especially when she's really wary of the shot, you know, see a long range, uh, a level change at long range. She can sprawl. She can frame. Um, she can beat that first layer. But once yeah. she is taken into a wrestling exchange, a sequence uh, of wrestling moves, anybody takes her down. Anybody who wants to basically mm-hmm. uh, who, who's able to grab first, grab a hold of you and then start uh, chaining attacks together. And Mackenzie Dern is maybe one of the worst wrestlers she's faced. I mean, she's, 
I think a worse wrestler than Michelle Watterson, a worse wrestler, certainly than Carla Esparza. Yeah. And probably worse than Cynthia Calvillo as well, but she's bigger and stronger than all of those women. Yeah. And even if she's not bigger and stronger than Cynthia Calvillo, she's much more insistent. Yeah. With the possible exception of Calvillo. And uh, if she takes the same approach she did against Nina Nunes, she's, it, it is just a, a, a matter of determination, not being put off, crashing in, grabbing a leg, making Marina Rodriguez balance. The aggression alone should be enough to get Rodriguez down. Yeah. And then yeah, I think she'll finish her on the ground. Rodriguez is a very inactive grappler. She doesn't have much of a get up game. Nope. And even if she did, like, you know, is there a submission that I, I wouldn't be worried about Mackenzie Dern hitting on me if I'm Marina Rodriguez? She can probably do whatever she wants. She is yeah. that level of, of submission grappler. No, I think if, 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 if Mackenzie Dern took me down, there's no submission I would feel no. like I would be be not in danger yeah. of you might you even know. try just a, a a really low percentage insane get up just to see what cool move she would finish you with yeah yeah <laughs> i'm gonna try and do a cartwheel out of this half guard uh yeah. and then you know she hits you with like a with like a leg scissors or something <laughs> yeah yeah no i i agree i mean the big thing is that i think marina rodriguez is really it's an example of how how the 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 meta of different divisions or of the sport in general yeah. can lead fighters into avenues very naturally that then costs them in ways that they can't compensate for. Yeah, because she hasn't she hasn't been running away with these fights against these superior wrestlers, but she has been getting by. She hasn't had that yeah. like traumatic wake up call that this fight seems to pose. Yeah. It, it's, you know, she can afford to get taken down by a lot of these women because right. she's, she herself is pretty big and strong for the division. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Carla Sparza and, um, uh, Cynthia Calvillo and Randa Marcos, they're all really bad at finishing fights. Yep. You know, they're just not dangerous, even when they're good grapplers. Michelle Watterson as well. Like, and Watterson's, Watterson's a little tick better. She's been, she, she had her fair share of submissions early in her career, but yeah. she hasn't had any in the past four years. And hell, if there's any of those, uh, of the three most recent wrestlers she's fought, I guess there was the Hebush fight. Yeah, but Hebush is dangerous, but it, that never got anywhere. Like, right. And, and if there's any of these recent matchups uh, where somebody is actually predisposed to win early and then get tuned up, it's Carla Esparza, and that's the one she lost. Yeah. <laughs> so even then, it still doesn't necessarily work all that well to just let the opponent do whatever they want uh, for the first round and a half or more. Yeah. it's It's just one of those examples where – he was, she doesn't, or uh, where uh, Rodriguez doesn't, or Rodriguez, I suppose, doesn't have any. There's no, there's nothing around her outside of Mackenzie Dern to push her to be like, no, you really actually should right. make sure you don't ever get on the ground. Because, yep. yeah, even, like I say, even among other contenders. There's not a lot of women who are going to look to turn that into a huge landslide where they're going to TKO or where they're going to right. insta-sub or whatever it is. And Dern will. And 
So he was for Rodriguez rather. Damn it. Now I'm got it all confused going through <laughs> and looking at all the records. But uh, for uh, Rodriguez, she stands really flat footed. She's really upright. She is not, uh, you know, she's not being um, Joanna Yanjechik out there early in fights, at least, where she's just putting out a huge string of volume that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And her whole game is kind of based on being able to wade in on you and start building momentum Mm -hmm. towards being in close, landing lots of strikes, tying up, clinching up, landing lots of stuff in tight. It's all about her ability to come forward. And if Dern is just going to clash into her, then she'll almost certainly get her down. Yep. Now I am curious to see how Rodriguez approaches the fight. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if, if she's smart, then she's looking at this and seeing some of the same things like, Ooh, there should be a, a wake up call in advance of this fight. Like, Oh, you know what? The kind of fights I've been having are probably not going to fly here. I need to do something different. And there's room here to, you know, it's like Mackenzie Dern cuts off the cage. Well, no, I mean, there's room here to, to just outmaneuver her and sting her with pot shots and, um, and, and try to walk her into hard counters, which against uh, Amanda Hibosh, we saw she can absolutely knock out even tough, experienced fighters mm-hmm. with sharp single shots. Um, but, you know, MMA fighters are it, – it, it, to a certain extent, it's just human nature that you're not going to learn your lesson until it has – you know, you, you have suffered the pain of not knowing it yet. And yeah. MMA fighters are nothing if not slaves to human nature. So yeah. It's also also one of those things, too. Like, we were just talking about this the other week. Like, we, this isn't really a sport that that creates that kind of open adaptation that you'd expect more often than not. Right. You know, more often than not, Rodriguez is going to be a fighter who will always have bad takedown instincts. And the ways that she will compensate for that are going to be being a busier, more aggressive... A uh, more technical fighter standing who makes better use of the time she has on her feet rather than very like, you know, it's like Jermaine Durandamy. Like, Durandamy's yeah. never become a notably better grappler over her career. Right. The standard across every division in MMA is that most fighters just don't really get better from training. Yeah. They maintain, and what gains they make are usually, I think, uh, put down to experience. Yeah. And so you can't go back. You can't, you can't really just look at this out ahead and be like, oh, no, I bet I bet uh, Rodriguez is going to understand exactly what the problem is in front of her and solve it. Right. She she would have to. That's the kind of thing that you can really only have proved when it happens on occasion. When when it does, it's something you got to recognize and celebrate and be like, oh, my God. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're talking if we're talking about fighters that are molding a metagame that's going to get badly exposed at some point like Mackenzie Dern is sort of in the same boat sure. just probably not going to happen here you know yeah. she's building an incredibly wild and sloppy striking game to lead to a takedown a takedown game that's only all right but she's strong enough and big enough that uh most most fighters at strawweight can't stop it 
Mm-hmm. And sooner or later, she's going to run into Rose Nami Yunus or uh, Yuana and Jaychik or Wei Zhang or Jessica Andrade, mm-hmm. somebody else who's built like a brick house and can stop it. And not that Rose Nami Yunus is built like a brick house, but nonetheless, she's a very well-schooled, good footwork fighter. You, that, you could expect her to both outmaneuver and seriously hurt Mackenzie Dern. Yeah. Yeah. And the, she's going to run into some fighters where it's suddenly having a wild, unpolished striking game is going to be a huge liability. Yep. So, but this seems like the right venue. This does seem like the right, the right chance for her to, to show and for Rodriguez or Rodriguez to fail. Yeah. Uh, Dern is a reasonable, but not huge favorite. I'm a little surprised by that. Honestly, I wonder if it's the accent. You think that like <laughs> people are people still mad about that? I, you know what? I think, People will remain more mad about that than it ever will ever make sense to me. Uh-huh. Hopefully it's it's dying down a little, but I get the feeling that that's just going to be one of those things that comes up for her entire career. It's not even just Mackenzie Dern. This is going to be a weird aside, but uh, people do seem to be really suspicious of immigrant accents, uh, <laughs> of people who pick up an accent after moving somewhere. Like uh, – mm-hmm. There's a one of these like a food YouTube channels like Eater or something. Um, they're paying for this ad spot, by the way. Oh yeah, they had a host who uh, was like a a guy who lived part of his life in the U.S. and part of it in the U.K. and had moved back and forth several times in his childhood. And he was like an annoying, pompous dude. So you know that was yeah. grounds enough already to be like, oh, I don't like this guy. But people were really upset about what they perceived to be a fake British accent in what otherwise sounded an awful lot like somebody who grew up in the U S mm-hmm. people don't get that they're, they They don't understand how you can pick up an accent by like adapting to your environment. It's not unusual. Yeah, no, I mean, it's actually kind of weird to not like yeah. you learn I go on speak. vacation somewhere and I st- suddenly find myself having to like consciously stop myself from Absolutely. trying to sound like people around me. The most exposure I have to British people is just that I do several podcasts with them. Yeah. And even so, I'm saying like just a tick and shit like that in my day to day life. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. absorb these things from interaction. Yeah. So uh, Dern opened at minus 185, dropped down to minus 200, bounced up to minus 116, is currently at minus 167. Rodriguez opened at plus 160, dropped all the way down to plus 126, is currently plus 139. You know, Casey O'Neill really lucked out here as far as fighters go because her accents are Australian and Scottish, and they're mm-hmm. both just so weird and hard to understand that nobody yeah. n- nobody can nobody can fault or pick out which one is the like yeah, that's the, what's real the awkward part. Have two equally indecipherable accents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's no really... one is ever going to call out a uh, like a, a guy from from uh, Belfast who moves to South Africa. Exactly. <laughs> They're going to be like, I guess that's how they talk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Randy Brown, Jared Gooden. And yeah, I mean, there's there's always a chance that Randy Brown can lose. Sure. If we're talking about fighters who are never just going to get like way better all of a sudden. Yeah. Randy Brown has one of the most cobbled together MMA games I've ever seen. 
where yeah. he started he was boxing from a young age and doing that for years and so you can still see the form and footwork things that he built into himself to learn to box and then he very clearly hooked up with a grappling school that doesn't teach anything else other than grappling yeah and only then learned one kind of grappling so that he's got like an aggressive functional top game and then is terrible off his back yeah and doesn't really have any way to get the fight there consistently at all he will try he does he used to do a lot of standing back takes early in his career that was his mm-hmm. thing he's just so tall and wiry and um you know and then he's got a really good clinch game and that's like the one sort of saving transition between all these parts that is really working for him is that he can punch his way into the pocket land really good shots in the clinch and then if he gets taken down or if Mm -hmm. he can create a scramble he can find a a standing back take or whatever in there but he has undoubtedly benefited from experience and it's been good difficult experience i mean oh yeah randy brown's resume in the ufc is uh is nothing to snit to to sneeze at no, all, I mean, all of his losses are pretty credible, and he's beaten plenty of accomplished, experienced uh, opponents, too. Yeah, so he's definitely been getting better, and it's just a sharpening up. I think the really mm-hmm. nice thing to see against Alex Oliveira was honestly, like, he just went out there and really put hands on him well. Mm-hmm. Didn't, you know, it, there was none of that sort of waiting, circling, trying to, like, you're eight feet tall. Go out yeah. there and throw straight strikes, and you're going to make something violent happen. Mm-hmm. And so it was really good to see him do that in ways that, like, against Bilal Muhammad, he just started the fight, got put on the back foot almost immediately, and kicked to pieces. Right. right. And well, a guy up. with reach who uses it aggressively. People hate yeah. fighting at a reach disadvantage. You can really, really make them uncomfortable yeah. if you press that advantage on them. So that, that's all a way of building in to say that it's not like Jared Gooden can't win this fight. Mm-hmm. If he goes out and he just starts a firefight with uh, Randy Brown, if he gets him down and puts him on his back, if he can get into the pocket and land big shots, Gooden himself is huge for welterweight and he's consistent to a fault in that he will just wade in through any and all incoming fire Mm -hmm. to try and get in the pocket and throw combinations. But this is a fight that Brandy Brown should absolutely win because Gooden really does. Like he just has no defense and he has no mind for it. And Mm -hmm. that fight he had that he won with Nicholas Stoltze, it was he just went walked through three or four huge shots that Stoltze landed to mm-hmm. land his own at the same time, and his were bigger, and Stoltze couldn't take it as well. So, yeah, I I gotta go with Randy Brown here. He should absolutely be able to win this fight, and it's only gonna be a product of his the, the own the problems in his own style that would take that from him. I think. Uh, yeah, you know, it's not like he couldn't knock Randy Brown out. Yeah, it's been done. There, Randy Brown has lost via leg kicks. He has lost via knockout. He has lost via submission. Mm -hmm. He has 
there are gaps to exploit in every part of his game. He's but... been KO'd twice, albeit by probably the two hardest hitting dudes in the entire division. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Vicente Luca and Nico Price. Um, but, you know, Gooden certainly packs a punch. Yeah. He's, um, you know, does have a degree of reach parity. In fact, let me check the stats here. 77-inch wingspan for Gooden. 78 inches for Randy Brown, so more or yep. less virtually identical, some might say. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I could also see his his determination to pressure, which he brings against most opponents, working for him here. Uh, yeah. Randy Brown looked super successful against Alex Oliveira when he was coming forward. Uh, but as you said, um, he lost that fight to Bilal Muhammad because Muhammad just insisted on pressuring him. Vicente Luque outpressured him. And that worked to his advantage. Um, he's sort of like a negative John Jones, Randy Brown. Yeah. He's tall and lanky. He's got a he's got a really dangerous clinch. But whereas John Jones like needs you to walk into the clinch, um, and is in fact very uncomfortable being made to lead, Randy Brown is on the other side of that spectrum. He yeah. He, as you said before, he wants to punch his way into the clinch, get into strong head position, get those collar ties proactively and start beating you up. So I think it, it, it could be a pretty close fight, to be honest. The big thing um, I think uh, in Brown's favor here really with Gooden is that Gooden has no kicking game. Yeah, Gooden has no kicking game and he has atrocious defense. Yeah. And Brown is a quicker, more relaxed, more accurate striker. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna favor Randy Brown as well. It's, it's stylistically, it doesn't. It, I think it's a good matchup. It's just who cares? <laughs> yeah, it, it's just <laughs> one of those the, things where Randy Brown, like, you know, I realize he's had his trouble in the UFC, but beating Alex Oliveira, Warley Alves, and Brian Barberena, yeah, in the past couple of years, they put him on the cusp where, like, you know that. That Vicente Luque Nico Price line, Muhammad Price Luque, along with Oliveira Alves Barbarena, they all create a very clear picture of exactly where Brandy Brown is in the welterweight division, yeah. and it is a half step out of the elite. Yeah, Gooden is fighting for a spot on the roster. Like he, yeah, he is barely clinging to this division by his teeth. At the moment, it's just that Stoltzy win after back-to-back losses in his first two UFC fights. It, it as, as a matchmaking position, it does nothing. If Brown wins this, that says nothing about him. This yeah. is a fight that he has won 100 times over. Mm-hmm. And if Gooden wins, it's huge for him. It, it's massive, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like a fight that, his, you know, it doesn't feel like a fight he's earned. It's... Yeah, it just feels like the the logic of of matching Randy Brown is like, oh, you lost to the ranked guy. Okay, now you need two wins, and then yeah. we'll give you another shot, and then you can fight like, uh, you know, Daniel Rodriguez or something. Yeah, it just, but you know, that those two wins, there, there's so much depth to that division. Yeah, it Man, wouldn't make that sense. be a good fight? I'd love to see Randy Brown, Daniel Rodriguez. Sure. Or Daniel or, or Randy Brown versus Muslim Salikov or Randy sure. Brown against Li Jing Leong or, oh, yeah. you know, like there's a whole bunch of dudes in the middle of this division that are all good and fun that Rip Brown has proven time again that he's right around that level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, it's not like it's a bad fight. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to have to have one of these where it's like, sure, 
those guys are already booked or whatever. And it, it's not yeah. completely unreasonable. It just doesn't really feel like it adds any weight to an no. already thin card. It, it, it's a it's a problem of being a card where almost all of it looks like that. Yes. Yes. The wrong. Once again, the wrong kind of consistency. Yeah. Uh, odds on the bout. Brown is a pretty heavy favorite. Opened at minus 200, dropped to minus 250, is currently minus 240. Good and opened at plus 170, jumped up to plus 210, is currently down at plus 193. That brings us to a flyweight bout, probably the, I mean, along with the main event, the best booked fight on the card. Tim mm-hmm. Elliott, Matthews Nicolau. Yeah, this is, um, you know, again, it doesn't really mean anything. Um like there's only like four possible matchups at flyweight that mean anything because yeah. the division is so shallow. But uh, in terms of just pure style matchup, it's the best fight on the card. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, if you're looking at as shallow as flyweight is, this is still very definitely and very consistently a top ten fight between two guys who have, yeah, you know, they've proven their ability to be in that range. Elliot has gone through obviously a lot of hard spots. At, at different points in his career and was looking, uh, you know, just a year or two ago at being in a position where you're kind of like, well, is he done? Yeah. But then you look back and it's like, oh, those losses have aged remarkably well. The, the losses have aged remarkably well. And then it's also very clear that moving to fight, moving to training with James Krause is a huge boon for Elliot. Yeah. Because and you watch his fights now and it's clear why. Because Elliot really needs somebody to talk him through the whole process of a fight. Yeah. He's a, he's a fighter. If you think about him in the past and you look at what he's done in the past, you can see pretty clearly that he's marked by as a dude who really runs out of ideas. Yes. He runs out of ideas, off. runs out of energy, perhaps even because he runs out of ideas. Yeah. He, he just like burns himself out really quickly. He tries to do the whole fight in the first five yes. minutes. Yes. And then he just kind of gets checked out. He's sort of disheartened and exhausted and all of these things at once, which, uh, as we know, are connected. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good point. He It was actually probably one of his more comfortable looking three round performances last time out mm-hmm. against Jordan Espinosa. Uh, again, not on the tier of the guys that he's lost to in this division per se. Yeah. But uh, just seeing Tim Elliott go out there and have a good, consistent fight is uh, is a great look for him because this, this is. is a guy who has, uh, as you noted, been, um, yeah, has just uh, done really, really well. Like he, again, even against the the great guys in the division he's lost to, has frequently had fantastic moments. Mm-hmm. He had better success against Demetrius Johnson than virtually anybody else during uh, Johnson's uh, title reign. He uh, had better success against Joe Benavidez uh, back when that was a really difficult thing to do before doing the customary thing of running out of ideas and getting tired and suddenly the whole fight is lost. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think um, Tim Elliott is, is not nearly as done as I feared he might be looking at those fights with guys like Askar Askarov. And that's actually uh, the fight that makes this one interesting to me because – like the basic style dynamic here is Tim Elliott, you know, relentless pressure wrestler. Um, Matthews Nicolau, power counterpuncher. That's like the the bare bones of this matchup. Nicolau reminds me a lot of like Jimmy Rivera. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jimmy Rivera loses some fights that 
uh, an approach like Askar Askarov used against Tim Elliott would not have. Yeah. Because Jimmy Rivera will let you back him up. He will let you put his back against the cage and he will look for big home run shots to try to capitalize on your errors in closing him down. And, um, sometimes that's the wrong move. Sometimes with a guy like Tim Elliott, especially if he's going to be consistent over three rounds, you have to just peck and peck and peck. Now, granted, Askar Askarov went for the home run early and almost got it. Mm -hmm. But when it became clear that Tim Elliott was, despite being horribly beaten up and like getting hurt by every shot that landed and exhausted, when it became clear that nonetheless, he was going to continue pressing forward the entire time, Askarov sort of resolve, uh, resigned himself um, happily to a back foot boxing game yeah. where he just picked him apart with jabs and kept him on the chase without ever giving him the openings. And um, I think that could be a problem for Nikolaou. I don't think he's really content with doing that. No, Nikolaou, I think, is very much a fighter who he either wants to have a very equal open space series of exchanges where yeah. – a very comfortable tone it's like a lot like what uh cop uh Uh gave to him where Mm -hmm. it was just kind of like oh okay well you know cop wants to do big single counter shots and big single lunging strikes yeah nicola was like okay well this is this works pretty well for me this is a very even i can set my own things up you set your things up we'll see who can win each time Mm -hmm. or if he has the uh the size and strength advantage nikolai will himself then wrestle and yes work to out grapple his opponent yeah and when he is drawing away from a pressuring opponent it is to sucker them into a a hard shot yeah he's a he's a really big fan of that like willie pep style like oh i'm fading away in southpaw i'm fading i'm fading i'm fading boom cut back across you run you into a big left cross mm-hmm. uh or you know I'm, I'm taking half steps back half steps back you reach for me slip left hook um he wants those big shots on the counter and so if he can't finish tim elliott doing that i can definitely see elliott's pressure wearing on him down the stretch yeah um and you look at a fight like Nikolau versus Smolka, where mm-hmm. he was absolutely tuning Smolka up the entire fight. It was, frankly, as a fan of Louis Smolka, one of the more horrific fights I've seen, uh, where a guy is just soaking up damage and un- unfortunately for him almost doesn't go down or go away. He went down a couple of times, I think. But um, late in that fight, Smolka started to have some success. He started mm-hmm. to land his own left hooks. Nikolau didn't like the pressure and it was as a response to pressure that he started um, using that wrestling that you spoke of. And he took Smolka down a couple times. Tim Elliott uh, seems like it might be a worse idea. He's a bigger, much more physical fighter than he's not frame wise bigger than Louis Smolka, but he's a hell of a lot stronger. Yeah. And um, it could be dangerous to, to allow him to pressure you into sort of shooting into his game. So I'll say that um, I'm going to pick Nikolau because Elliot, despite the consistency he showed in his last fight, it still has atrocious defense. Yeah. He leads with his face. And there's a reason Askar Askarov almost knocked him out cold in the first round of their fight. And, and that you could really argue that uh, Ryan Benoit won their fight. Sure. Yeah. Um, just hitting him with home run shots will at least bank you around. 
Um, and that is something that Elliot himself struggles to do. He's not a noted finisher and is not uh, really great at sealing, uh, or at, at stealing round sealing moments. Yeah. So I'm going to take Nikolau essentially for, uh, being able to damage Elliot and bank rounds on that. But I think it will be a difficult, stressful fight for him. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really split, honestly, because I feel like the kind the, the Nikolau that has come back to the UFC and maybe this is the guy he always was anyway, but it, the Nikolau who's come back to the UFC is just a little that just that little bit more like patient and low output. And you know, I mean, it was against Manuel Cop. It was against Manuel Cop. Somebody true. who pressures Nikolau like Louis Smolka did. He's going to counter like that is yeah. how he tries to stop that from happening. He's he has no choice but to throw. It's true. I'm. Um, I just really, you know, Tim Elliott is a dude who, for all he does, the, all the damage he does take, he's only ever been submitted. Mm-hmm. You know, and that ha- happens. It's not, you know, it's not something that Nikolaou couldn't do. He's not a terrible submission artist. Not at all. He's a very competent grappler. But do I trust him to do it? And if I if he doesn't do it, do I trust Elliot to weaken in his resolve? Because that, you know, that's the other thing. It's just basically to me is can Elliot push a fight on Nikolau without getting subbed and consistently enough to just kind of overwhelm him? I want to believe he can. But you are kind of banking on the win a decision, right? Oh, of course. No, I don't think Elliot would TKO or submit Nikolau. Right. Nikolau's a, a good, capable grappler. Uh, and don't don't think he's ever been submitted. Yeah, Elliot's only his only submission wins or his only wins by anything other than decision have been, you know, beating Mark De La Rosa, who's just not a functional athlete who could keep up with flyweights. Mm-hmm. And then the, the ultimate fighter, you know, he didn't mm-hmm. it's otherwise been since 2015 against Felipe Efrain that. Yep. So no, I would definitely say it has hey, to be. Matthews Nicolau himself fought Felipe Efrain. Yeah. Just before coming back to UFC, it's a great fight, by the way. If people yeah. out there haven't seen it. So I, I, I don't know. I guess I'll take Nikolau as well. Copier. No. Copying. Copying. Come on, Zane. How far behind am I now? You can afford to take a risk. Eh, all right, I'll take Tim Elliott. I think sucker, that the I, I sucker. Think that the, uh, yeah, I think that the the Kraus cornering and like the actual dedication to just consistent being in his ear and the smaller cage, all that, it's just all going to help really feed into Elliot's current game. And he fell for it. I Great. know. Great. <laughs> I, you know, I was just watching Cruel Intentions again yeah, yeah. the other the other week, uh, day. Uh-huh. There's this whole thing about how, like, you know, uh, I don't know what's her name from Buffy, uh, who stars in it. 
I don't know. Whatever. All right. What? Uh, I, I, I got to get it now. Uh, Sarah, no, uh, Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah. Thank Sarah you, Michelle Geller. Zane did not yeah. pull that on his own. I want the listeners no. to know that. Sarah Michelle Geller. Uh, she tells Ryan Felipe, like, it, it, at the end, she's like, you know, no, I played you. I got you to give up the, the one person you've ever loved just to save your pride. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's how I I feel like you're today. Gotcha. You know, you're a very Sarah Michelle Geller like person. <laughs> Do you want to tell the uh, our listeners how you have uh, for the first time in this the year of our Lord 2021 just seen the film Anchorman? <laughs> no, hey, look, look, I realized that <laughs> I you know it is there was just a point in the 2000s yeah where I just didn't care about anything will ferrell was doing that's fine anchorman like, set the tone for that era of comedy though and it only got worse after i mean because like now i'm going back and now i watched uh elf i watched Step Brothers. Uh-huh. i've watched anchorman now they've all been really funny and good i'm gonna watch I, talladega nights i think talladega nights might be my favorite of those movies and actually. and like i just but at the time i did not have any interest at That's all. Fine. That's fine. So I'm recapturing. What you should really do is watch Talladega Nights with the, uh, well, the DVD commentaries exist anymore. Where would you even find it? I, but, I can uh, rent it. I will rent the DVD. If you watch Talladega it with the Nights. DVD commentary, it is the entire cast doing an extended improv where they pretend that they are the, like, uh, the descendants of the actors in the movie, like several generations removed in a world which has largely been defined by the success of Talladega Nights and is also an apocalypse. Um, uh, you know what? So you get to hear Michael Clark Duncan uh, <laughs> pretending that he's like uh, a sea lord on a fan boat who goes from <laughs> island to island extracting tribute. It's great. I'm it's, actually fascinated by that. And we'll really have to do good. that. Uh, it's, really it's much, much more interesting than talking about Maria Agapova versus yeah. Sabina Mazza. They all talk all right. about Jack McBrayer in hushed, fearful tones. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> Elliot is the underdog to Nicolau. Opened at plus 135. Got up about 143. And then the past couple days has risen up to plus 161. Nicolau opened at minus 155, dropped to minus 170, and was holding pretty steady there down, but has dropped in the past couple days to minus 196. So gamblers not liking Elliot in this fight. I get it. And only a sucker would prefer him. Yeah. Anyway, tell me about anyway. Agapova, Mazo, and why it's better than Anchorman. Sabina Mazo, Maria Agapova, um, not at all better than Anchorman. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. That seems like a that seems like a stretch. Uh <laughs> much like Brown Gooden or Gutierrez Kolaris or Romanov Vandera. Yeah. Like Sabina Mazo is just better. There's Agapova, a fighter here I'm interested in. What? There is a fighter here that I'm interested in. Between Mazo. Yeah, it's just it's once again a it, you know yeah. a oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's worth caring about, but the matchup is and Akapova is a good prospect, mm-hmm. but it's like losing the way she did to Shanna Dobson made it clear just how much of a prospect she is. Yeah. Also, apparently, a bunch of gym drama out there about her just being like totally wild and unhinged and mm. just like. 
being a constant source of drama in the locker room and Sweet. a complete jerk, which that doesn't sound like the MMA culture. No. I know. Yeah, no, that where's the Bushido code? Um, <laughs> John but, Kavanaugh would never allow this. That's right. He'd keep her on the straight and narrow. <laughs> That fine young man he raised to <laughs> MMA superstardom. Um, Kahal but, Pendred. Yeah, Kahal Pendred, of course. <laughs> I don't know who else anybody would have thought I meant. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Akapova, she's a good athlete. She's aggressive as hell. She's dynamic. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, it seems like if she fails, she falls to pieces and Sabina Mazo is a very patient momentum building, consistent fighter who yep. she could use a little more direction and dedication out of the gate. I think she, a lot of her game is based on establishing tools. Yeah. And when she can't, she doesn't get a lot done, but I don't see anything about Agapova that's going to stop Mazo from establishing a body kick or from establishing a jab, if that's what Mazo needs to do. So I'm taking Sabina Mazo by decision. Yeah, Mazo is like a is like a prototype Marina Rodriguez. Yeah, you know she's tall and long. She's got a dangerous kicking game. She's dangerous in the clinch. If you give her space, she will use that reach to walk you down and hit you with hard shots. And she tends to. Uh, lose the fight early and then take over down the stretch. Yeah. Um, she, unlike Marina Rodriguez, she tends to lose the fight early out of sheer aimlessness. Yeah. Like it really does seem like she could just use a little more. I, it feels like she has to, fe- she has to remind herself what kind of fight she likes to have. Right. Like Rodriguez isn't a slow starter so much as she just keeps fighting a bunch of tough grapplers who take her down early. Yeah. You know, like if you if you gave her a, a moderately paced striking battle in round one, I, I have no doubts that she would just go out there and start trading shots with you. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was a, a lot of like with Amanda Hebus, she just went out yeah. there and cracked her. Yeah. And um, so it's so Mazo. Well, you know, she'll let a fighter like Agapova have some moments early. There's no doubt yeah. of that. Agapova is, um, you know. Uh, tying right in with her apparent locker room behavior, a maniac uh, yeah. early in the fight. She's super aggressive in the way that a lot of uh, reasonably athletic raw prospects are. But um, I'm just not 100% sure what she does <laughs> to actually take the fight over. She makes way too many mistakes. Sabino Mazo makes one mistake, which is not taking enough risks early. Uh, Agapova does nothing but take risks. So yeah. uh, I got to take Mazo to just stay calm and still be there after Agapova runs out of ideas. So I got to read the. This was all from Marina Moroz, uh-huh. who, who said this. Who uh, seems to be a sweetheart, by the way, as yeah. far as I can tell. Uh, she was under the influence of drugs. She threatened the guys and she was kicked out of the gym. This is, I think, ATT. Yeah. Because she was threatening to stab people and so forth. And she also stalking the wife of a fighter who is pregnant. She also threatened to stab. Uh, the police uh, called four times. And, oh, my God. Uh, she broke doors. And that's it. Maria Agapova, the UFC junkie. 
that's not that's not drama. She's a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Apparently you threatened to stab somebody's pregnant wife and Oh my uh, god. <laughs> well, I will not only be picking Sabina Mazo, but rooting for her. Um, go out there, Sabina. You seem soft-spoken, and I, I I haven't heard the lurid details about your backstage behavior yet, so I'm rooting for you. Yeah. Meanwhile, Agapova is warming her my, herself to me as somebody who's just completely insane. Yeah, my God. That is, like, more horrific behavior than I expected. Yeah, just... I'm not saying we need to take it all at face value. There's a lot of drama sure. and, you know, uh, talk around MMA that gets traded just purely on, you know, grudges and all that. Sure. But it's also this sport is absolutely the kind of place that fosters that kind of behavior. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like on a, on a just uh, a tactical level, like – Agapova's probably going to take Mazo down a bunch of times early. Mm-hmm. She'll probably prob- take her back pretty fast. She'll probably then... do that. But Mazo has been taken down um, by yeah. better grapplers with much more experience and survived. Mm-hmm. And then I think Agapova gasses herself out and gets into yep. ridiculous exchanges. And, um, you know, Shana Dobson managed to kick her in the head. I think Marina Rodriguez. Uh, <laughs> My God, I did it. I think Sabina Mazo can uh, definitely replicate that. Yeah. So Mazo seems like the pretty obvious take here. And yep. uh, Agapova, there there may need to be like some sort of intervention or something at some point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, Maria Agapova is the underdog, opened at plus 155, dropped down to plus 106, and back up to plus 144. Sabina Mazo opened at minus 180, got up as high as minus 130, and is currently down at minus 173. So, seems pretty, I mean, I think Mazo could be a a wider favorite, honestly. I mean, I I realize that she's going to maybe get herself into some trouble early, but she's never been subbed Yep, And her losses have been to very consistent, similarly consistent fighters Yeah, in Davis and, and Moroz who could just take advantage of her own slow starts for multiple rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have yet to see Mazo just kind of fall behind somebody yeah. like Agapova and just detonate entirely. You give Agapova a slow start to react to and she will destroy herself against it yeah uh all right that brings us to a, a middleweight bout phil haas deron win and uh yeah man i don't know like who is more likely to just fall completely to pieces when they cannot control their opponent on the mat yeah yeah i i, I took my first glance at this and i was like oh why are they doing this to deron win like the dude's uh, had some difficult fights recently. Uh, his latest win is, in my opinion, essentially meaningless because I don't think Antonio Royo is very good. Yeah. Um, well, and I, it was also one of those fights where, like, oh my god, they both got insanely tired after a minute, and then it was only Duran Win just taking Arroyo down all the time and not getting anything done. Yeah, that was his scoring for the rest of the bout. 
Yeah. And so I took a look at this and I was like, well, we just saw like that uh, corner turning performance from Phil Halls in his last fight. I'm going to favor him. He's the one who looks like a comfortable, experienced fighter finally after taking a lot of lumps. And then I'm like, you know what? He still managed to get rocked by Kyle Daukhaus. And he like these are fights against Daukhaus and Imavov where notable like, athletic advantage for him. notable athletic and wrestling technical wrestling advantage to mm-hmm. lean on. And Duran Wynn's problem is not that he's unathletic and it's not that he can't wrestle. Yeah. That he's five foot two. Yeah. And trying to fight at middleweight. He's five foot two and he he strikes with the discomfort of somebody who feels like every moment they're not knocking their opponent out, they're in grave danger. Well, because he's five foot two. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, know, he's but, got a 70 inch reach. Like, but Phil Haas will have an eight inch reach advantage. That is crazy. But that feeling has not fostered for Darren Wynn a, 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 a more competent, like, focused striking game. It has, no. it, it makes him pretty aimless. There, there are, you know, there, there are things to like about Duran Wynn. Um, just as an overall mixed martial artist, he, he has got yeah. that physical limitation, but he's very quick, no, he, uh, especially he, he, when he settles down on, on throwing power. Like when he tries to be fast, uh, like the, the few moments in his fight with Gerald Mearshart where his corner succeeded in convincing him to, to throw combinations and be quick, man, he, he, he has lightning hands. He's basically, I don't even want to say 2.0. He is Hector Lombard 1.0. Yes. He's Hector Lombard 0.7. Yeah. Um, like he's just the second coming of Hector Lombard, he really a world-class is. grappler who is fast and powerful enough that he can fight people at divisions where his size should never allow him. Yeah. Yeah. Except Hector Lombard had a long career. By the time yep. we started seeing him in, in meaningful fights, he was already a very experienced fighter. Yep. And uh, I believe probably had a better boxing coach. Hector Lombard, yeah. I think, actually really liked boxing Yeah, uh, as, a, as a specific craft. And Deron Wynn has uh, enough to almost get by. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like I said, you know, when you see him like uh, pressure an opponent back, throw away the right hand, um, come back with the left hook, it's like, man, these, these, these are really impressive looking combinations, but most of the time he, he, he can't think not to just wing big wild looping shots. That is his natural bent. Um, probably because he's super anxious against everyone he fights. Cause literally everyone has a massive reach advantage. Yeah. Um, so I am going to take full halls. He looked very focused against Kyle Dalkhouse. Getting stung is one thing, but it was the first time we've ever seen him almost immediately recover both physically, but more importantly, his composure and get back to fighting a winning fight. Um, he is himself a quick and very powerful striker. And, um, Daron Wynn doesn't have the same sense of like being super fragile, but neither have I ever seen him come back from that turning point in a fight where he gets hurt the first time. Yeah. Usually it's all downhill the moment that somebody touches Darren Wynn clean on the chin. So I, I'm going to take Phil Halls. Man, this is, it's really hard. To, I, it's a hard fight to pick, honestly. Um, just because Phil Haas is one of those fighters where it feels like the potential for self destruction is much higher. Yeah. 
like if Phil Haas runs himself into exhaustion, sure. Or if Phil Haas gets hit by something really hard. Which, well, hey, that admittedly also looked much better against Kyle Dowdell. It, it did. They both looked much better. But when when he has done these things in the past, yeah, uh, he turns into a different fighter. You know, yeah. his game falls apart. His confidence to be the kind of fighter he needs to be in the fight goes away. Yeah. For Duran Wynn, he's never different. He is the same fighter every minute of every fight, no matter what. That's true. Sure, he did manage to actually sort of get pieced up on the feet by Eric Spicely, but it did not stop him putting that beating on Eric Spicely. (laughs) Yeah, like he will, he can get hurt, he can get tired. Whatever happens, Duran Wynn will fight the same fight. It's a real like lifelong wrestler's mentality, isn't it? He just mm-hmm. keeps plugging away, trying to keep that pace going. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's to you know to to enough of a fault that against Gerald Mearshart, once Gerald Mearshart just kind of realized he's going to come in and throw the same couple things at me. Yep, Mearshart just started outboxing him. You know, he had the reach, he had the time, he had the the timing, and he had the anticipation that he just started putting hands. He was the on. only one of the two of them who had the wherewithal to actually throw body punches, mm-hmm. which worked on Deron Wynn literally every time he tried them. Yeah. Well, I mean, he may only be five foot six with shoes on, but he is pretty much all, all of that is torso. Yeah. He, and he's got the Daniel Cormier defense. Yeah. But yeah, where was the moment in that he hurt Gerald Mearshart in that fight? Yeah. Uh, in that same round. But by that time, he'd given Mearshart enough time that uh, it was essentially the first like counter, uh, the first counter to the head Mearshart managed to land. And boy, it uh, it just rocked him. Yeah. So that makes this a hard fight to call for me because mm-hmm. Win is much le- less likely to be broken by a single moment success. Mm hmm. But I also said in the past, and I just kind of have to stick to it, that I'm not actually going to pick Deron Wynn to win fights at middleweight. He's just, yeah. he's not a middleweight. And I don't think anything's ever going to turn him into a middleweight. Well, unfortunately, he is. I mean, I mean, yeah. But he's not he like just, he's a, he has a lot of room to slim down. He's a, he's a no, it, it's very true. muscular, thickly built guy. But he's like, there may just not be functional space for him at the UFC level. Yeah. You know, that win he had over Arroyo, like I remember watching on the night and I was like, I I think Arroyo won this fight. If I'm yeah. just looking at damage and I don't care about these takedowns where Win gets control and does nothing, Arroyo hit Duran Win way harder than Duran Win hit Antonio Arroyo. Yeah. And I have no problem with Win getting the win. I it, to you know make a terrible pun um but dare on do that again zane i I dare i dare on not (laughs) (laughs) oh god it is a bad card (laughs) it really is (laughs) this is how we're amusing ourselves but i it, it was it was the thinnest of margins in a fight where he had every opportunity to control yeah so 
I I'm going to pick Phil Hawes just because he can neutralize. He can probably neutralize wins wrestling. He should be able to. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, he's got an eight inch reach advantage and all the athleticism that win has as well. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, win is a big underdog on that note. Opened at plus 185, jumped up to plus 220, is currently up at plus 245. Phil Haas opened at minus 220, dropped to minus 260, is out at minus 316. That wraps us up for the main card. You can find me on Twitter at Thesein Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyable.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast on Bloody Oval Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC Fight Night Holm <laughs> vs. Dumont. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple TV, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The Best of the Come On Now MMA Podcast, Crooklyn's Corner, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, Show Money, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, and Radio Style Play by Play for every UFC pay-per-view. You can also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog and of course on BloodyElbow.com.